to everyone who's here this evening. Um, those who braved the 100, feels like 105 degree heat outside. Um, and uh, thanks to those who are listening at home. Pray that tonight is a blessed time for you. So read the readings. Let's jump right in. The first reading is Lamentations, chapter 3. Now, Lamentations is to the right of Psalms and before Ezekiel. To the right of Psalms and before Ezekiel. <clears throat> Lamentations 3, 22 through 33. 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 And when somebody has that, will you read it, please? <clears throat> because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may <coughs> yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, for he does only bring affliction or grief to anyone. Okay, good. Uh, okay, first question. What jumps out to you in this passage, 22 through 33? What jumps out to you? <clears throat> There's some familiar phrases in there, like, great mm -hmm. is thy faithfulness. You good. Know, that we sing yep. in, in our hymns. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, that's verse uh, 23. Good. Yeah, they are new every morning. And what is new every morning? What does it say in 22? Compassion. His compassions. Yeah, yeah. His compassion is new every morning. Uh, those of you who have different translations, what do some of the rest of you have in 22? Mine says compassion. What do some of the others say? Steadfast love. Steadfast love. Steadfast love. Okay, good. Anybody else? What else because do you have? Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions Okay, good. All right. Steadfast love uh, and compassions. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Good. Okay. What else jumps out to you? <clears throat> the Lord is good to those who wait. Okay. And why does that stand out? He's always with us. He's not going to forget us. Okay. Good. All right. That's verse. Where is, where is that? Twenty. Oh, twenty-six. Right. It is good to wait quietly. Is that the, yeah. is that the one for the salvation of the Lord? Yeah. Twenty-five and twenty-six really to tie together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Verse thirty. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him. Hmm. And why does that stand out to you? It's not something we easily like to do. Okay, good. All right. Let me ask this question. In every, 
in every text that you read, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, um, whichever, whatever book that you read, whatever text that, that, that you read, one of the questions that we always want to answer is, where is Jesus? Where is, where is Christ? And so where do you think Christ is found in these verses? Where do you think he's found? Or where do you, is there something in there that, is there a verse in there that reminds you of something about him? <clears throat> He's right beside us. Okay. All right. That's uh, because he's faithful to yep. us. Yep. Okay. I think 28, where it says, Let him sit alone in silence when he's mm. laid on him, is definitely a reference to Christ. Good. Okay. Uh, let's go a little bit further on that. Let's think of a time in which he sat alone in silence. There were several, but can you think of the big one? Yes, so many. Yeah. Okay. In the garden, for him, uh, let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Okay, good. Where else might you see uh, Christ in these verses? Again, 30, let him give his cheek to one who strikes, and let him be filled with the insults, for the Lord will not cast off the word. Mm-hmm. Good, yeah, there, I believe it is in Isaiah, um, which refers to this as, as well. And, I, and actually, Isaiah goes even a little bit further and talks about how um, you know, they would um, pull out the hairs in his beard. Okay? Um, good. So we certainly see, see Christ in those verses. Do we see him anywhere else? <clears throat> well, he does not, does not willingly bring affliction mm-hmm. or grief to the children of men. In other words, he's not going to be waiting there to Punch you in the, you know, yeah, yeah. What about that verse? For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. What do you think he means there? <clears throat> well, let's see. Like in 32, it says, so great in his unfailing love. He's just waiting there for you all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. If uh, <clears throat> if your if your if your parents if your earthly father came to you and said something similar to this, I do not bring punishment on you willingly. What would you think? What would you think, or do you think that? Well, I don't want to give it away. Yes. So, what would you think? Doing that for as a fatherly thing for discipline, but really doesn't. Want to do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't like to spank your kids. No, no. But sometimes no. you got to put <clears throat> pressure there. Say, right. Hey, maybe. Mm-hmm. No, I think that that's right on. Um, uh, I would have loved to have not gotten any affliction brought on me by my parents, but sometimes that's what I deserve. Um, and the reason why that why that happened is so that. Um, I would learn the difference between right and wrong. We've done the same thing with our own, our own kids. Our Heavenly Father does the same, the, the same thing. Okay? Does he want to do that? No. What he wants is everything to go back to the way that it was. That's what he, what he wants. And of course, that hasn't happened yet. It will happen when, when Christ returns. You've heard them say, that hurt me. Did. Yes. Right. Good. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, and 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 it's 
interesting too, where do we find Christ? Well, it did hurt Christ more than it hurt, hurt us. Good, good. Uh, in 25, <clears throat> the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. How do we put our hope in the Lord? What, is that, what does that process look like? Putting one's hope Faith in the Lord. Faith and trust that he'll come, that he'll take us to heaven one day. Good. Okay. All right. What else? Well, the one who seeks him, you know, you have to want to bring him on to your mm-hmm. end of life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. instead of just letting him go. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Mm-hmm. To the one who seeks him. Okay. Did Jesus ever talk? Mm-hmm. About, did uh, Jesus ever talk about seeking something? The answer is yes. Seek and save the lost. Yeah. Okay. Seek and you shall find. Yeah. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Okay. Yeah. So the Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. Well, the way that we put our hope in Him is by putting our hope in. Christ and his promises. Okay? Um, there, again, another great example. This particular text is actually full of them. Another great example of where not only do we see, um, I think, gospel, good news, um, but we also certainly connected with that. We see Jesus, too. Okay. All right, anything else on Lamentations? We don't study Lamentations. You know, we don't hear Lamentations. No. In fact, I was, as I was preparing this, and it, it's the reading, um, one of them for next week, and I thought, you know, it doesn't come up very often. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure why, why that is, but um, no, it is a book that just doesn't, doesn't get nearly as much publicity as certainly many of the, the other ones do. <clears throat> Anything else on Lamentations 3? What if we go back a little bit in the um, earlier in that chapter? So kind of get the context. I am the man who has seen affliction. By the rod of his wrath, he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. Who might that sound like? It's the answer to every children's message question that has ever been asked. Jesus. Yeah, well, yeah, good. Okay, good. Okay. I am the man who has seen affliction. Jesus can say that. By the rod of his wrath, Jesus can also say that. He was beaten with reeds. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. One of the things that I don't think gets enough um, Attention, enough uh, description is what is what precisely happened when Jesus was crucified on the cross. To put it simply, literally, the Father turns his back on the Son and wants absolutely nothing to do with him. Why? Why does at, at that moment? Why does he want absolutely nothing to do? His son. He's a son of man. Okay, all right. And what, what was he carrying? He was sin. Sin, yeah. He became, I mean, 
it's, it's, it's hard for us, I think, to kind of comprehend this. He literally became evil. He became sin. And the, the Father, I mean, he wants nothing to do with that. So that's why, you know, Jesus' words, uh, he, throughout his entire life, chooses his words very carefully, even on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, he becomes sin. He becomes evil. He becomes, um, you know, one of the, the ways that I um, sort of think about it with myself is um, every, every terrible thing that we hear about on the news. Um, I think often of when we were living in California, there was a, um, a news report that came out that, um, that a mother and a father who were drug addicts left their seven-month-old son in the room, in his bedroom, all by himself for days, days, and the child eventually died. Um, Jesus became that. Um, but the reason why he became that is so that the punishment of, the, of that sin, so that uh, if we, we want to be super uh, character specific about that, so that that mother and father, I have no idea if they, um, in faith, have received Christ. But if they have, they are forgiven of that. Why? Because Jesus became their sin and he was crucified and it was done. Pretty incredible stuff. Um, yeah, go, continuing on, even in verse 4, that he has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. I mean, just the whole, the whole thing speaks to that. Um, good. Any other thoughts on Lamentations? Let's go into something slightly happier. Uh, Psalm 30. Psalm 30. So go back to the left. Psalm 30. And when somebody gets there, will you read that? Exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave and spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Somebody pick up at verse 6. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. 
that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Just a little bit of context and background to this particular psalm. Um, You'll notice at the top there, in my Bible, it says a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David. What I found out was that this particular psalm, Psalm 30, was sung every year as part of the festival of the dedication of the temple. So it was, it was, a, it was a yearly song, a yearly song that was sung. Um, <clears throat> okay, what stands out? Psalm of praise. Okay, good. Certainly, in uh, a little bit in contrast to what we just read from Lamentations. I think verse eleven kind of sums it up. <clears throat> Turn my wailing into dancing, mm. and remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. Yeah. Okay. This is what happens when we, when we become baptized, okay? You turn my wailing into dancing, you remove my sackcloth, and you clothe me with joy. You clothe me with a robe of righteousness that was Christ, and he gives it to us. Um, I like verse 12, too, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Notice that it doesn't say that your heart has to have a nice voice, right? My heart may sing to you and not be silent. Where is Christ in this psalm? Remember that, that the psalms, and I mentioned this in a sermon uh, a while back. I don't know if, uh, if anybody caught on to it. But remember that Jesus is the one who has prayed the psalms first. And so any psalm that you read, even the more uh, popular ones that we know, Psalm 23, Psalm 46, Psalm 23, Jesus has literally prayed, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Jesus, had, Jesus at one time has said that. Those words have, have come out of, his, out of his mouth. Psalm 46, um, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Okay. There is a river whose strings make glad the city of God, uh, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Jesus has said those words. So with that in mind, where is Christ in this psalm? I found one, and I actually, as I was looking at it, I found a second one. So I, I see two verses. Verse 3, Okay, that was one of them for me, too. Yep. Verse 9. Good. Okay, I did not have that one, but yes, good. Eight. Yes, good. Uh Uh-huh. In fact, uh, he probably did that twice. Once in the garden, once on the cross. And then seven also, I would ask one that struck first. Hmm. God hides his face, turns mm. away the man. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, God hides his face. He is reflecting. Mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. which is what going down to hell Yeah, and it's interesting because um, in the Old Testament, nobody ever sees God face to face. 
I mean, the closest I think that it, anybody comes is in the Hebrew, it, sorry folks, literally his butt is as close as, I forget who that is, is that Moses? Yeah. Um, he sees his backside and that's it. But when Jesus comes, they see the face of God. Good? Yeah, I also had verse 3, O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Okay. Uh, specifically the first half of that, O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from, from going down into the pit too, yeah. So we see there, um, and if you go up to verse 2, O Lord my God, I called you for help and you healed me. You brought me up from the grave, the resurrection. Okay. And now in verse 4, he's asking everybody who is a believer, the saints, dead and alive, to join him in singing praises to God's holy name. You can kind of, I would, I would love to, and this, um, by the way, this, this psalm is still sung every year, um, even though the temple has long since been destroyed. But this psalm is still sung every, every year. I would uh, love to have, have been a fly on the wall when this was sung during, during David's, David's time. Doesn't this also sort of, um, you can also imagine somebody, you know, somebody like um, the woman who was caught in adultery and Jesus forgives her. You can almost hear her singing this and singing it as verse 12 says, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Why do our hearts sing? Because what happened to the woman caught in adultery? She was forgiven. Our hearts sing because our sins have been forgiven. Our hearts sing because we have seen the face of God. Okay. Pastor, the Jewish people would be singing, would sing this at the yes, yep. Jerusalem today. That, yeah, they still sing it today. Yeah, even though there's, I mean, that's well, I haven't heard them sing it. I've never been there, but that's what my book said. So, if you go there and it's wrong, I'm calling the guy that makes you wrote my book. What it because, sound like. Huh? Makes you wonder what it was sound Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and if uh, if David was the one that that wrote it, the harp was probably involved. Okay. Good. What else in this in this psalm stands out? Look too at the second half of verse of verse 9, the first half says, What gain is there in my destruction? Am I going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. O Lord, my God, the last half of verse 12, I will give you thanks forever. It's hard as uh, one, of, one of the challenges as a pastor is to, um, I think anyway, is when we're doing our prayers of the church, usually I get those from the synodical website, but I kind of add my own, my own stuff in there. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound enough for us when we say we thank you, God, for X, Y, and, and Z. But that's, those are the words that we, that we have. We thank him. We praise him. Um, I like how it says, I will give you thanks forever. Never ending. 
Uh, going back to verse 5, too. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. For Jesus, that was very, very true, even, even though I'm, I'm sure in his humanity it didn't seem like a moment, um, at least not in the way that we usually think of it. But now he sits where, according to Paul? Right. And according to the writer of the Hebrews? The right hand of God. Yeah, he sits now at the right hand of the throne of God. His favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When did he rise? Sunday morning. Okay. The Bible is so cool. Good? What else in Psalm 30 stands out? So this, this, all right, good. So that's, that's verse 6. When I felt secure, I said I will never be, sh- be shaken. Um, Paul talks about this in a couple of different places. He talks about it, first of all, in Philippians uh, 4, where um, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't mean that I really, really want this job and, that, and then Jesus is going to give me the ability to do it. Okay? Or I've seen it. I've seen it uh, um, satirically written elsewhere. Um, this, this guy is climbing this mountain without a harness and without rope, and he says, well, I can climb this mountain because I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me, and then he falls flat and dies. Okay. Where Paul is getting that verse from and where his confidence in that verse comes from is because of the fact that he, A, he's writing that letter from prison, Secondly, he's learned the secret to being content. The secret to being content in every circumstance is because he knows that no matter what happens, God is with him. Jesus is with him. And so, yeah, he can do everything through Christ who gives him strength. Meaning, um, he knows the secret of being content. Okay? So there's that. Uh, I, will never be, I will never be shaken. There's also uh, the passage in um, 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about the thorn in his side. And it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. And three times the Lord came to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul's conclusion at the end of that section is, well, um, in that case, uh, when I am weak, then I am strong. And why is he strong? Because who's the one who defeats the weakness? Christ is. Okay. God is. Good. Anything else on Psalm 30? All right. Right along. The gospel, which will also be the sermon text, so I'm going to try really hard to not give it away. Um, Mark 5. 21 through 43. You didn't give it away last week. I Thank you. I, I tried hard to 
leave you guys a little bit. Did you say Mark 5? Mark 5, yep. Mark 5, 21 through 43, a very interesting passage. Mark 5, 21 through 43. A little long, not really long, but kind of long. Um, when somebody gets there, will you read uh, the first paragraph, please? 21 to 24. When Jesus had crossed again from the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by his name, and seeing him, he fell to his feet and poured him earnestly, laying my saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Okay, good. The next paragraph, please. Uh, the last half of 24 through 29. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of the blood dried up and she felt, it, felt in her body that she, had been, that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceived in himself the power had gone out from him immediately, turned, around, turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and you, yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Good. And then the, the rest of it, 35 through, well, I mean, I guess you, if you want to read the rest of it, you can. Otherwise, somebody read 35 through 30. I'm sorry, 35 through 40. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in the, where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. All right, much going on here, much to unpack. Um, let's go back to the very beginning. For those of you listening online, again, we're in Mark chapter 5, 21, verses 21 through 43. Mark 5, 21 through 43. So... This is coming right after uh, our text from last week, which was Jesus calms the storm. Again, Mark has an agenda here. He's showing his readers that Jesus really is God. He calms the storm. He heals at the first part of chapter 5. He heals a man who 
is possessed by demons. And I believe that's the man that uh, not only has one demon in him, but many. Uh, is that the one where he says, uh, I am called Legion? Yeah. Verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he says, my, ma- my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. So he heals this demon-possessed possessed man. And then Jesus is not done, at least, at least not yet. When he had crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then so this synagogue ruler, his name is Jairus, comes to him. A little bit of a background on this. Jairus was uh, the kind of ruler that he was sort of the, the head elder. He was in charge of making sure that the place of worship was ready to go, that it had everything that it needed. Um, he was a very, very important man as far as the synagogue goes. One of the commentaries that I read uh, about this text said something really interesting to, that I thought um, written by Dr. Veltz, and he said that one of the, thing, one of the two things that, that we know um, about this particular section of this, of this text is that not every Pharisee had it out for Jesus. We also know that from Nicodemus too in John. Um, so not every Pharisee, not every ruler had it out for Jesus. And we see this very clearly. So this synagogue ruler, this higher up, um, who is probably used to people fawning over him, instead goes to Jesus, throws himself at his feet, prostrates himself in front of him, and pleads earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Again, what is interesting, there are so many things about this text. Another thing that is interesting about this text is that Jairus is expecting Jesus to do prevention, to keep her from dying. Well, what happens after that? A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman who was there had... who. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. If she was bleeding, that meant that she was what in Jewish culture? She was unclean, which then meant, which also meant what? Well, she shouldn't be near anybody. She didn't, she, her family has left her. Her friends have left her. She has no one because she is ritually unclean because of this bleeding. That's going to come into play later, later on. So uh, she has been bleeding for 12 years, and one of the commentaries that I read on this, I thought what they said was really funny. Um, 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. It's almost sort of the mark is sort of taking a subtle jab at the doctors, right? Um, she spent everything that they had. I'm sorry, she spent everything that she had, and it had not gotten any better. I was reading, too, some of the remedies were you would get ointments or astringements, and then some of them were really sort of off the wall, like you had to carry the egg of an ostrich for 
however long or, or something like that. But if you, but you know, at this point, if you are this woman, you're probably willing to try anything to make to make this stop. Um, so instead of getting better, she actually grew worse. The, the doctors could do nothing. 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the, in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touched his clothes, I will be healed. In Jewish culture, there was, uh, all of the teachers had these um, cloaks, and on the ends of these cloaks were um, basically things like tassels. And it is absolutely unheard of. You don't touch a teacher's cloak. It doesn't happen. And so this woman who has nothing else to lose, right? If I can just touch his cloak, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She does that immediately. Her bleeding stops, and she feels in her body that she was freed from her suffering. I, I hadn't... Um, I hadn't really keyed in on 29 there. I, I, I wonder if suffering is more than just physical. I wonder, too, if the, the, the suffering that she feels free from is emotional, too. At once, and here's kind of a very interesting part of this, and it, it, in a very, uh, I think, ironic way, it shows Jesus' humanity. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Humanity because, A, he could feel that some power had gone out of him. Um, wh- what does that mean? Uh, the commentaries that I read are a little skittish to really um, comment too much on it. It's a little bit vague. okay? Um, only to say that the, it kind of points to his humanity. So power, he feels that power has gone out of him and then asks a question, who touched my clothes? And the disciples, meanwhile, meanwhile, while all of this is happening, Jairus is just waiting, right? Okay. Um, the disciples are incredulous. You see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask, who touched me? It could have been him, it could have been her, it could have been that guy, it could have been that one. I mean, how are we supposed to know? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He doesn't know. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. That's powerful. And what he says to her, again, Jesus chooses his words specifically. What he says to her is key. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from her suffering. Remember that she doesn't have any family because of her bleeding. Her family has left her. Her friends have left her. She belongs nowhere. And how does he address her? Daughter, you belong to me. You're mine now. If that doesn't give you goosebumps, I mean, I just got got some. I mean... That is just incredible. You, she felt yeah. emotionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so, right, right. I mean, she's, uh, she, she's probably bawling her eyes out at this point. I would be. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Uh, please go ahead. He, he 
suppress his divine nature that he really didn't know and he was just giving her an opportunity to come forward and confess or, yeah um or was it that I'm... it's hard to say i think verse um where was it verse 32 helps us he keeps looking around to see who had done it so odds are he doesn't know okay there are some things that jesus doesn't know um he says, I forget, I forget uh, in which gospel it is, but he says elsewhere when um, people, when the disciples are asking him about when he's going to return, he says, in effect, I don't know, I don't know, only the Father knows. Okay, um, doesn't make him any less God. Okay, now so <laughs> this whole scene happens. Meanwhile, Jairus is over here waiting. You can almost hear him say, I, I, I was first. Right? Why is Jairus so eager to get this done? She's dying. She's dying. She could die any minute. And meanwhile, Jesus is attending to this woman who's not, who's not near death, is just having a really hard time of life. And so, verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead. So, all of this waiting, and now she's dead. The question can be asked, why does he, why does, uh, why does he delay? Why is he not eager? Well, let's find out. Then they said, why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. Interestingly, the, the, those were the same disciples that he allowed up on, on the mountain to witness his transfiguration, the only ones. Uh, the brother of James, which also makes it interesting because this is Mark's gospel, so he didn't go. Um, but he obviously got the story from Peter, James, or John. Uh, when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jairus, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Uh, so much background to this text. I found out, too, that the reason in Jewish culture, the reason why people were wailing loudly was to... Uh, the reason why people wailed loudly at somebody's death uh, was to really drive home the point that she is now that this that this daughter that or whoever dies is separated from life they're dead and there's nothing else that can be done so they're wailing loudly he went in and said to them why all this commotion and wailing the child is not dead but asleep jesus just sort of saunters in there what are you worried about what are you worried about why all this wailing and commotion? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Wouldn't be the last time. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kom, as I found out what the pronunciation was, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. 
At this, they were completely astonished. The other thing, the other sort of contextual um, background that I found out about this text is that uh, part of the reason uh, for the Wailing Two was that at 12 years old, in Jewish culture, uh, for a girl to become 12 years old is uh, probably the biggest milestone in her life. And so this little girl, uh, her mother and, and her father who have raised her to this point, well, she's about, well, not about to die, she has died. At, at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know this and told her to give, told them to give her something to eat. Um, kind of a side note, do you remember what the first, well, uh, is it in John's gospel, I think? Um, Jesus appears to his disciples at the side of the lake, and what's the first thing that he says to them? If you got something to eat? Apparently, people who rise from the dead get an appetite. Okay. Um, you can't really preach on that, but I think it's kind of, kind of funny. Um, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them, uh, told them to give her something to eat. Why give them strict orders not to tell anyone? Why doesn't he want them to know? Because it's very, very private what is happening there. Only the mother and the father and the disciples that Jesus wants are in there. So why doesn't he want, why doesn't he want anyone to know? It's not time yet. Yeah. It's not his time. Because if word got out that this happened, the Pharisees would then come marching in and try to kill him. Okay? Well, his time isn't yet, and Jesus knows that. Okay, so much in this text. Uh, questions or things that stood out? One thing I hadn't realized until just now is that girl was 12, the woman had suffered for 12 years. Good, yep, yep, there's, yep, uh, who was I listening to? 12 disciples, 12 tribes. Yeah, I was listening to, um, I've given you a, a lot, so I can't really go any further without preaching to you guys here, so. We want some, we want that side. I know, well, see, that, that's the thing, it's called a cliffhanger. Yeah. Keep it going back. Okay. These are the lessons that we'll mm -hmm. have Sunday. Yep, correct. Yep, Psalm 30, Lamentations 3, and Mark 5. You, usually we do a, a, an epistle, but the lectionary, and it's fine that they do this, but the lectionary, it was from one of the Corinthians, I don't remember which, um, first, first maybe. Well, what they did was they, they took part of a chapter, skipped several verses, and then give you the other part of it, and I don't really like that, so... Um, they also, luckily, every every Sunday they also give you a psalm that matches up too. So we're going to do the psalm instead. Anything else on that? You could sort of. Uh, um, you know, if if, if uh, Lord willing, whenever Emma turns twelve, um, and God forbid something like this would happen to her, I uh, and we don't know what the reaction of Jairus is as he's waiting for this kind of this middle scene to take place. But I would be 
losing my mind. Go, hurry, go, hurry. She's going to die. And then she, and then she dies. And Jesus instead raises her back to life. Pretty cool. Any questions from those listening online? Oh, sorry, you can't. <laughs> can't. That'd be neat, though, to figure out a way to do that, like if they could text in their questions or something. Yeah. Maybe. Not a bad idea. Okay. All right. Well, if there's no other questions, that uh, we'll go ahead and close there. Um, I really encourage you to read this this week to reread those texts, um, and also as we like to do, try to uh, try to read the context surrounding those those texts too, because it'll it'll help make the actual text make more sense. Uh, let's close with the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and power, and glory, forever and ever. Thanks for coming tonight. Thanks for listening online. And uh, we'll be back here again uh, next Thursday, which I think is the 5th. Is it the day after the holiday? So the 5th. Um, same bat time, same bat channel, 7 o'clock. And uh, I think that's it. We'll see you all. We'll see you all then. You bet.